0: Good morning. Uh, it's good to good to have you with us today, especially if you're visiting. Welcome. We're glad to have you as a guest this morning. Um, if I haven't had a chance to speak to you yet, I will be at the table right across the hall, um, right across the entrance um, after the service. Would love to to say hi. Um, my name is Bland. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're regular, you know that. But uh, I'd like to introduce myself anyway. Uh, we used to do bulletins every week, and then have you know you could follow along and all of that. But then we decided to stop killing trees. Uh, so I uh, thought that was a good move. Um, but it's good to have you with us today. We are in the book of Ephesians, so I encourage you to flip in your, uh turn your Bible or open your app or your journal Bible. And while you're turning there, um, one of the greatest dangers, I think, in modern life in, in, in the West, hands down, maybe the greatest single danger to us in the West uh, is the neglect of the inner life. Um, as people. We have more things to look at, more things to work on, more things to keep us busy, more things to entertain us out here than any generation of people that have ever lived. Um, And that means that you and I, every single day, have less opportunity or less impetus to look at our own hearts, to take time to dig into our own souls, um, and to, um, to take care of our inner life. Day after day, we are being discipled To give ourselves over to what's out here. Give yourself over to your work. Give yourself over to entertainment. Give yourself over to relationships. Give yourself over to something else. Believing that that thing, that thing out here, if it gets right, if it's good, then that's going to give inner peace and strength and help and hope and power in here. And if you haven't learned that yet, it doesn't. Anything that you get going out here, which is fine, it's not bad, you know, nobody, God doesn't want you to have terrible circumstances, but, but we can have good circumstances out here and still not have inner peace, right? And even when we do kind of get that, oh, my circumstances are all good out here, so I'm good in here, how long does that last? Five minutes, right? And yet we are pressured, we're being formed every single day as a people to, uh, to give ourselves to that. The problem is if my inner peace is dependent on my circumstances, then I have, by definition, circumstantial peace. If my happiness is based on my circumstances, then I have uh, circumstantial happiness, or what literally is happiness is happenstance. It means your, your circumstances happen to be good. Not knocking happiness, not knocking peace out here in the world, simply saying it's inadequate to sustain an inner peace in us. The truth is the greatest men and women of God I've ever met in my life and studied in church history are not people who managed to get all their external circumstances lined up, but quite the contrary. People who, despite their external circumstances, had an amazing inner life. They had a depth of walk with God. They had a depth and a beauty of knowledge of God that meant their circumstances whether good or bad, did not dictate their peace and their strength. Sometimes where circumstances were good and they were grateful, but other times they were bad. And yet their inner strength, their inner life was strong. This is the apostle Paul's circumstances. He had suffered in his life and he had suffered. He's writing the book of Ephesians while in prison. We talked about that a little bit last week, right? He's in prison And if you know Paul's past at all, he shares this in 2 Corinthians, but he was beaten on multiple occasions with rods, he was whipped on multiple occasions with whips, he was stoned with stones on at least one occasion, Um, and we know constantly he experienced this pressure. And yet what we see in this passage today, and what we see in Paul's life, is not somebody whose life is being blown back and forth by the wind of circumstances, but an inner life and a peace. Doesn't mean we're Stoics. Remember, I talked about that a little bit. A little bit Doesn't mean that we're Stoics and it, that doesn't matter out there. It simply means what's out there does not have the power to overwhelm what is in here. You and I are being constantly discipled to live by what's out there, not take time for what's in here. What Paul is, um, Paul's prayer about today in Ephesians 3 verses 14 through 21 is all about the inner life he is actually proving by his prayer here that the, that the inner life is primary. It's not secondary or even equal. It is primary in life to the outward life. If in your inner life, there's strength, if in your inner life, there's peace, if there's, in your inner life, there's power, then when, whatever happens out here, you are able to be sustained. And your outer life can crumble and you don't crumble. If you're out on the flip side, if your outer life looks fine, circumstances are good, but your inner life is in turmoil, what happens? You're in turmoil, right? We've all, we've all seen those moments. We've all met those people. Maybe it was us at points where, where everything seemed to be going well for us, right? All out here, everything was good. But in here, there was a mess on which one has the power, the circumstances out there or what's in here? and here is what guides us, right? What is in here shapes us. So the, the passage we're looking at today is a prayer. And Paul is, is focusing on the absolute priority of the inner life, of, of drawing near to God, of having a power and knowledge of God, or what uh, old theologians used to call communion, right? Not communion like what we do out here, but communion was this sense of communing with God, so I'm going to read Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. This is a prayer, so I, I want you to sort of receive it as a prayer, and we'll unpack it together. Uh, when I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Respond, uh, I invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. So Paul says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this is, if you're joining us, this and even if you've been around, this is the central text of the book of Ephesians. Every, every uh, scholar, commentator believes this is the center of the book. This is where the theology that Paul has been talking about up to this point meets the practical living out of the Christian life. And it's interesting that the entire focus here is not about what it looks like out here, right? But what's going on in here, in you and I. And this was Paul's letter to... Um, to the church at Ephesus, which was a relatively small church. It wasn't some huge mega, megalopolis church, megachurch in the city of Ephesus. Um, it was a small church in a pagan city, wealthy, multicultural, diverse, um, and, and very antagonistic to the gospel. This was not a place where people were like, yes, please tell us about Jesus. We want to hear more. They were uh, 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 against the gospel. They were against the church. And despite this, there is not one mention of external circumstances in this prayer. The Ephesians, on the one hand, are experiencing this pressure of trying to be a faithful church in a crazy, messed up city that didn't want them there. And on the flip side, Paul himself is in prison, right? He's imprisoned. And in, in, in Paul's prayer here, the, this big, flowery, beautiful prayer, not one thing about being delivered from prison. Not one thing about, hey, guys, you know, if you could figure this out in the city, I think things would go good for you. None of that. He didn't didn't challenge them in particular ways to to do things out here. Everything is about the inner life. He prays for them to be empowered and strengthened in their inner being. Why? I've already said it. But the inner life is primary over the outer life. Now, this text is... What uh, what commentators, theologians, and pastors call "pregnant with meaning," it is a it's a text that it, you could read over very quickly and get a sense of it. But then you can also walk through it very slowly, pulling out the pictures and the images and the ideas here, and like jump off into the rest of the Bible. Like it is it is so full of of different themes throughout Scripture. But even as we would do this. Even as we're digging into it today, I don't want us to miss the simple message here that what Paul is calling for you and I to experience is the love of God in Christ. And he's calling us to, he's pleading with God for this, for you and I. This isn't a message for spiritual titans. This is for every person who is a Christian, for every person who is following Christ. This is available. Doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for five minutes or 55 years. It is available, always available, all the time. Does that mean tomorrow morning when you get up for work, you could experience the love of God being poured out in your heart? Yes. That means tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening, next week, next year, the rest of your life. Do you see the invitation of this passage? It's not a, hey, try this, do this. It is a welcome into something, it's an invitation, right? What Paul is pointing to is nothing less than an inexhaustible and unfettered experience of God's love in Jesus that dwarfs anything that we can go through in this life, good, bad, or ugly. The problem with you and I sitting here today is that we are far too often satisfied with some things going well in our lives. Rather than longing for, be filled with the fullness of God to experience the love of Christ, the, the, the breadth, the height, the depth, the, all of that, like to, to be filled with that, right? How much better is that than your job to be going well, right? Not against your job going well, that's good. But how much better is that than your job going well or your family, your marriage going well or, or your friendships going well or your money going well? How much better is it to be experiencing all the fullness of the love of God in your life it's much better. I'll answer that for us. So what is it? What does a rich inner life look like? It means in this passage we're going to see, and this, these are all intertwined, but knowing Jesus intimately, grasping God's love corporately, and walking with God experientially. So let's walk through these. Knowing Jesus intimately. Paul's already told us in the letter that the Christians experience, have experienced the love of God, and that we are full of God. He's already told us these things. So why, why this passionate plea right now? Why pray for something that scripturally he's already told us we have? He's already, he says, you have it. If you're, if you're a Christian, you have the love of Christ. You have uh, the, the uh, experience and uh, the ful- fullness, uh, fullness of God in you. There's only one answer to this. On one level, we have it, right? Every Christian has this because the spirit resides in you. Every Christian has this. But in another level, they have to experience it deeper and deeper. There's an opportunity. There's a capacity, if you will. So you know the difference between um, you know, having, having something and then having a capacity for something, right? So at a very base level, we have the spirit. We have the love of Christ. We have the presence of God in us. But we have an almost inexhaustible capacity for the inexhaustible love of God to fill us. The problem I, I go back to is that many of us are satisfied with that little bit instead of asking for more. The easiest way for us to be satisfied with what's little is that we end up, we end up substituting this ex, uh, knowledge of God for the experience of God or knowing God. You know the difference? Knowledge of God versus knowing God and I want to I be careful here because it's a both and. And we are, we're in a very cerebral sort of intellectual context in our city. And so many of you have degrees and graduate degrees and everything else. You've been taught study hard, learn hard, learn all you can, right? Get, get the information. But there's a difference between information about God and knowing God. Just like there's a difference between information about my wife and knowing my wife. If I just met you and I told you, I love my wife. She was born in Georgetown, Kentucky, the oldest of three children. Um, she is, loves to laugh. Uh, she's a gifted painter and actually enjoys doing it. Not painting like, like art painting, but she can paint a room like a professional. Seriously, we've had people come by and go, who painted your room? My wife did. Um, so uh, she, she enjoys that. Uh, she loves the beach. All the, And I could, I could share that with you. And then, I, and then if I stopped... And I, maybe I ended with, and I love my wife. You wouldn't be like, that dude really loves his wife. Like, he just shared information about her. Now, love love is not blind. Like, I don't need any information. Part of falling in love with her was some information about her, right? But, but it's, not, it's not sufficient. And the problem for us is that we could probably go around our room This room and and build out a nice little theology of who God is together. What is God like? Well, God is infinite, right? God's all knowing. We could build out a theology. But there's a huge difference between being able to build that out and knowing God in your heart and experiencing Him. This is why this is the center of the book. Paul is praying uh, in boldness. He actually, um, it's kind of unique. He says, I bow my knee before the Father. Weirdly enough, we associate that with prayer, but that was, not the, that was not the position for prayer. You would stand and pray. And in fact, you wouldn't look down, you'd look up. You'd look up to God and pray, right? Uh, which is a position of humility as well. You're looking up. But, but Paul is actually bending his knee. It's a sign of even more humility before God. And then he says in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, according to the riches of his glory, let's back out for just a minute, the infinite God of the universe made every atom that exists in the universe, right? Great is you and all your glory sitting here right now. Everything we know, everything we've seen, everything that ever is or ever will be was created by God, right? So, So if you just look at the universe, for example, and go, is there glory out there in the universe? Yes, but it's just meant to be a signpost to the greater glory of our God. Now, I love this. He says, according to the riches of his glory. God running low on glory? How much glory does God have? We could say God has all of the glory. According to the the infinite glory of God, he wants you to be strengthened through... Uh, with power through his spirit. In other words, the spirit being in us, empowering us so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. He uses the word inner being here, right? This is that inner life. And what is he talking about here? He's talking about that part of us that exists apart from our external circumstances. It's our emotions, our thoughts, our very soul. This is the residence or the place where the presence of the spirit of God dwells. God Yes, God in one sense is everywhere and God is in our circumstances in various ways, but God doesn't dwell in our circumstances in the same way he dwells in his people. He dwells in his people through his spirit. So he is already in there. And then what the spirit does is empowers you then, opens up a whole new world, opens up a whole new dimension, opens up that capacity. Maybe you've got a little thimble over here and that's been your experience with God recently. God's kind of, a little small there. The Holy Spirit steps in, blows the thimble up, and creates a five-gallon bucket, right? And all of a sudden, you begin to experience more of God's fullness in your life. And listen, there are people that... Th- this happens sometimes in very specific moments in people's lives, and it changes them forever. These are people who are, who are already Christians. So it's not, the, it's not just how you come to faith, the, the Spirit empowering you to experience the love of Christ. But as a Christian... There are markers, there are seasons of refreshing that the Spirit sends in our lives, especially, and this is what Paul is doing, if we pray for it. You know what God tends to do if we really pray? You know what God tends to do if we humble ourselves and we fast and we seek him? He shows up. He shows up in our lives. Dwight Moody, who uh, actually uh, became a Christian uh, downtown near South Station, uh, was the greatest living evangelist in the United States prior to Billy Graham. He he preached to millions and millions of people. He grew up in Northfield, Mass. Um, he's, one day he's, he said this, describing an experience just in New York. He goes, well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred of an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. Anybody experienced that? Anybody been like, okay, God, woo, I can't take anymore. Just, just hold off. <laughs> My heart's too full. I've got too much joy, too much love, right? That's what happened to D.L. Moody. And also another, another uh, person probably you're more familiar with, Blaise Pascal, the mathematician, philosopher, had a dramatic encounter with God in his lifetime, post-Christian post-becoming a Christian, he wrote of his experience actually on a piece of paper and sewed it into the lining of his coat and no one even knew about it until he died. And then they found it there. And it became known as Pascal's Night of Fire. Um, But he called it the memorial. This is what he wrote. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23rd of November, from about half past 10 in the evening until half past midnight, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars. Certainty, certainty, heartfelt joy, peace, joy, 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 tears of joy. What, would, what happens to such a mind like Blaise Pascal that he is like, this was a marker in my life so much. So I want to remember it. I'm going to, I want to experience this. And I want to say this to you today. You will not get there on your own there's no amount of intellectual knowledge there's no book I can hand you there's no uh, there's no effort on your part to get to that point there are things we can do to prepare ourselves but you know what this passage is it's a prayer it's a prayer to God it's a prayer that that God would do what God does to fill us with the fullness of Christ knowing Christ in our inner being secondly we see Paul prays that we would grasp God's love corporately. Look at verses 17, second part of 17 into 19. That you, plural, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. Rooted and grounded in love. What does that mean? Well, it's, it's a passive verb meaning uh, God is the one that roots us and grounds us in his love. And then the, 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 the tense here means it's an ongoing state of affairs. So it's basically, if you imagine it this way, it's like having your feet planted, you're rooted and you're grounded in, in love. And, and it's the spirit that helps you do that. It's God that does that. And then out of that, with the other saints, with other believers, you're able to comprehend. You're able to see and experience and know the love of Christ, the word comprehend here is also translated to grasp, meaning to seize or apprehend or make one's own. But listen, the, the, the picture here is of one who is, wants to experience this, right? The one who is ready to experience this. It's like, um, I don't know if some of you may remember, back in the day, we used to, uh, when you... Um, when you, you did photography with a camera, they, they had this thing called film. And this, this film was like this, this special material that you fit in to the camera. And then when the light came through, so it's not like your iPhone, uh, it, when the light came through the lens at just the right moment and, and, uh, and, and, and hit the film, it would, it would imprint, it would imprint. It had to be the right, it had to be film though. It couldn't just, couldn't just grab some random paper and shove it in there, right? And, and even when you would print, you would print on special paper that was ready to receive the ink, ready to receive uh, what was there. And that's how we, we use photography. And well, the, this passage is saying we are being rooted and grounded in love is us being the paper. It's us being the film. It's us being ready, which is why, by the way, Jesus emphasized so much we need to get rid of any divisions between us. If any of us have any hard feelings, Uh, if any of us have been gossiping and any of us have resentment or anger or bitterness towards others, we need to get rid of that because we cannot together be rooted and grounded in love and experience the fullness of God's love unless we are rooted and grounded in love. And the obstacles to that are always division. It's important to not miss here that this is a community activity. He says, with all the saints. So I say this periodically, and if you've been around COA for a while, you know this. But this is why community groups are not icing on the cake of sitting on the Hill. I had a member class a couple of weeks ago, and I tried to explain that in the member class, that, that the community groups aren't like, oh, so I, I'm involved in the church, I come on Sunday. Oh, oh well, the next thing I could add that would be kind of a nice little addition would be to be in a community group. No. Community groups, your primary relationship with sitting on a hill. Not this service on once a week, right? Your primary relationship with the people of God at City on a hill is through a community group because that's how you practice all the saints. Yes, God sometimes likes to show up in the gathering. Praise God, I love that. I have been in gatherings that blew right past the end time and went on for two or three more hours because God was doing something. And that's pretty awesome, I love that. But the majority of the time, how do you grasp the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of Christ? Grasp it walking day by day with people of God. That's how you experience it. That's how you begin to experience this love of Christ. So if you're not in a community group, I want to challenge you to get into one. Why? Because you need that. But, but also your inner life needs it, right? You need to be strengthened in your inner being. And you do that by being with other believers. So get into a community group. If you're not in one, uh, we can help you at the table after the service is over to to find one. But I will throw this out there as well. Be patient. (laughs) Be patient. Why? Because the group you're going to join is jacked up. And there's some people with issues in there. And then you're going to bring your issues. And so, and guess what? What? It, I know it seems weird, but not everyone immediately is ready to just open up their hearts and share their lives on the deepest level with each other, right? So, so sometimes it takes a little while. It takes a little while for the group to gel. It takes a little while for the group to, to begin to trust each other. And how awkward is it that, that first week when someone walks in their first time and they're just like, Bleh! you know, like deepest struggles, like, and you're like, oh my. I mean, Hopefully the group come around and care for that person. They're clearly carrying something pretty heavy, but it is, it kind of overwhelms the group, doesn't it? So so slowly trusting God to strengthen and to help root you and ground you in love as part of his people, that's what you need in order to experience the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. Now, i want to make an observation about that. The language, breadth, length, height, and depth. He's describing a physical reality isn't he? Like, I mean, are we supposed to get a, a, like a cosmic tape measure out? Be like, okay, God, hold up the love. All right. Okay. Yep. You know, (laughs) I mean, but that's the language he's using. It reminded me of uh, when we bought our house seven years ago. Um, I don't know why they designed it this way, but there was a, it's a, it was a small space for a fridge. And so what was in there was slightly better than a, bigger than a dorm room fridge. Um, and which would have been fine if we were just going to stick beer in there and frozen burritos to eat at 2 a.m. while we were studying. But we were a family, and so we liked to have actual food in our refrigerator. Um, and so we had to, I had to start figuring out, how do I get a big fridge into a tiny space? So I was measuring all of that. I ended up taking out part of a wall, and I knew how exactly to the quarter of an inch that that new fridge would fit into that space, because I knew the height, the breadth, and the width, and all of that. And I think, like, why, why does God give us this language here? If it's not a physical reality that we can measure, why is he, why is he using terms like this? He's using it in the same way uh, that he's wanting to picture something so big and so overwhelming for you that you're in awe of it. So um, I have never had the pleasure of doing it, but standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon. How many of you have done that? I know there's like some of you, several of you, right? Have you just been like, not so big? You know, when the first time you got there, were you like, not very impressive, right? (laughs) I mean, you're like looking down, you're looking at one end to the other, you're trying to look across, you're like, this thing is monstrous, right? You're in awe. And, And what Paul is saying is here is together, only together with the saints, can we comprehend this? Can we even begin to see the love of Christ and how big it is? And what is the Grand Canyon for the believer? What is the height and depth and breadth and of the love of Christ? It's the cross. The cross of Christ, which, which at the moment that we are saved is big. Let's, let's, I hope it was big for you. When, not, when you got saved, you became a Christian. It was huge for me. I began to see that Christ had taken all my sin, right? And it had given me life. But ever since then, that thing keeps getting bigger it keeps getting bigger as I understand what exactly what he did for me more fully as I understand what he's done and what he is doing around the world through the cross. And so together, this is beautiful. It's not just looking up at the cross, but it's the fact that, oh, we're walking together and I'm forgiving you and you're forgiving me and we're finding grace and we're walking in love and we're being rooted and grounded in love. And together we're being able to see how amazing, amazing, incredible, inspiring, awe-inspiring the cross is. In our inner being. That's Paul's prayer. And that leads to the, the, the final idea of walking with Jesus or walking with God experientially. It's amazing how much things can cloud out um, God in my, in my experience, my circumstances, when, when chaos, confusion happens. How often it's like an eclipse, right? And I don't know if anybody saw that the other night. I think it was cloudy, but you know the eclipse came and it kind of blocked out the moon for a bit. Like when 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 our circumstances, when when how how often as human beings, I think this is why Paul is praying this. so often circumstance and whatever the Ephesians were dealing with became that eclipse, right? It blocked out the experience of knowing God and walking with Him, and whatever it's it's horrible. And I know you know this feeling, but whatever it is is becomes immediate to me, right? It, it's the most relevant thing in my life at that moment. Not God, not my inner life with him, but whatever it is in front of me and getting to fix that. If I can get that fixed, if I can figure that out, if I can work around this inner peace, right? God's like, no, no, inner peace. Then go out and do it then you have the capacity to, de- to deal with it. So what does he say? Verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I don't know if you caught that. Seems like a paradox. Know the love of Christ, which you can't know. <laughs> the same word in the, in the Greek, same root word, Knowledge. So he's saying, this is what he's saying is, there's a knowledge of God that's beyond knowledge. There's a knowledge and knowing of Jesus that's greater than information, that's greater than than what we can measure. And he's saying that this experience of Jesus in our inner being is enough to sustain us, that we would live the fullness of life. This is the inner life of knowing Christ. And living, having peace in here helps me to live out here. But again, I'm being discipled every day to live out here. How often do we slow down? How often do we stop? How often do we put our phone away? How often do we, are we silent with God? How often are we, are we like undistracted? It's hard, isn't it? Why? Because we are being discipled against it. This is why maybe, maybe more than any generation, we ought to be praying this, praying this prayer. And Paul says that you might be filled with the fullness of God. That's a crazy statement. We could take the entire, I could, we could do a survey through scripture just using that idea by itself, being filled with the fullness of God. The, the God who used to dwell on the mountain in the Old Testament, you know, the fire, the, the, the one who who came down into the tabernacle, uh, the one that was in the temple, he wants to live in you the fullness of God, meaning god doesn't hold back his love it doesn't. he doesn't hold back his character, his kindness, his mercy he wants to, you to experience the fullness of who he is now that doesn't mean that we become god right there been, there's been some uh, theological heresies that have taken verses like this and run off instead of, instead of understanding what it means to be full. Filled with the fullness of God means to know God fully. It means God is in me fully, not partially. He's not holding back part of his mercy, part of his grace, part of his wisdom. Anyone could use that? Anyone here could use the love of God in your life? Anyone in here could... could, could benefit from experiencing the fullness of God in your life this week? Anybody? Yes. We all need it. Every one of us. And you know what happens when a church full of people actually seek this and pray this prayer and begin to experience this? The crazy thing Paul says in verse 20 happens. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. He can do it today, today, here, before we leave this room, you can experience, we can experience the fullness of God's presence but there are some very real obstacles that keep us from that. I would argue the opposite of this passage. So if Paul's praying this, then the opposite of this passage is also the, is the problem. So people, first of all, we don't pray. How many of us, when's the last time you actually just prayed for God? Just prayed for God. Like, God, fill me. Jesus, fill me. I need to know you. I need to experience your love more fully. We have no strength to do it. From the Spirit. We're not rooted and grounded in love as a people. We're not in community with each other. And then we can't be full of, have the fullness of God in us because we are full of other things. Listen, you can't have the fullness of God in your heart when you have been jamming every other thing in your life down into your heart. Can't. If you're grasping at your career to be God to you, God cannot fill you until you repent of that. God wants you, is is inviting you in. He's inviting you to to experience the fullness. What do we do now? Well, I love there's no instructions in this passage. (laughs) There's no no directions, no steps, no, hey, go home, do these three things. We'll all have the fullness of God's love next week. Right? See you then. No, you know what it is? The, I, the only thing you can do, I think, is give up. Number one, open your hands up and pray like Paul did. Pray for the fullness of God to dwell in you. Listen, I, I, I can say this. There have been seasons in my life that I've experienced this. And the beauty of it is I don't ever like fully go back to what was before. It's like seasons of refreshing that God brings. And one of them that I remember the most was, uh, was probably one of the sweetest was when I was in uh, seminary, my second year in seminary. And I just went through a personal revival. Like God spoke through several people, circumstances, church, th- different things. And just honestly, you know what my prayer life looked like? God, I want you. I want you. I want to know you. I want to live a holy life full of your presence, full of your power. I want to know it was this passage. I want to know your love. I want to dwell every moment with you. That was my prayer. And like this, that particular season lasted like a year or two. It was amazing. And I never fully went back after, after that. But the beauty of it is God doesn't withhold that from his people. For those who seek it, it is available. And so we're going to pray. We're going to pray today. Before we move into communion and all of that, we're going to pray. We're actually going to pray this passage. So I know this, this is crazy because we don't do this. But Mike already pulled out the stops and we started praying out loud. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. What, what, is, what is Paul's uh, first words? He goes, for this reason, I bow my knees. I'm going to bow my knees up here. I'm going to kneel. And I want to encourage you to kneel. If you feel comfortable, you can slip out of your seat. You can find a spot along the front. You can just sit in the aisle, whatever works for you. But I'm going to kneel and I want us to pray this prayer out loud. That's why I have it on the screen. So join me, if you will. And this is our prayer for each other right now. So as you say these words, listen to those near you speaking those words too. may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God.